Why spend hours searching dealerships, comparing makes and models? Find the best of BC's inventory in one place, todaysdrive.com. You'll have access to inventory across BC, where you can easily find a vehicle that fits your needs and gets you where you need to go in comfort. Get in the driver's seat. Don't miss out on the many options we have available for you. Powered by Black Press Media, todaysdrive.com connects you with exclusive new and used car deals. This is the Mojon Sports Podcast. A deeper dive into the great personalities we know and love. Now, here's your host, Bob the Moj Marjanovic. Welcome to MojonSports.com, episode 28 of The Bio, featuring former CFL standout Brent Johnson, outstanding defensive lineman with the BC Lions. In fact, won the most outstanding defensive player award in the Canadian Football League. As a Canadian, that's an unbelievable feat. Played his college football at Ohio State. Not bad for a kid from Kingston, Ontario. Brent Johnson, the bio, next. Whenever it comes to tires or meeting your automotive needs, I only send my friends to one place, OK Tire in Langley. OK Tire in Langley is more than just tires. It's about complete automotive care, and it's about being treated right by my good friends, the Delaney family. Delaney's OK Tire in Langley. 19863 Fraser Highway or call them at 604-530-2545. This is the Mojon Sports Podcast. Time now for our feature bio. Here's Bob the Moj Marjanovich. Welcome to episode 28 of the bio. It's the Moj Bob Marjanovich with you and our next guest had, well, an amazing career in the Canadian Football League. Um, he is a two-time Grey Cup champion. He is a member of the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, member of the BC Sports Hall of Fame. The accolades go on, but even better, he's a great guy. Brent Johnson is Hello. our subject today on the bio. Brent, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. This is great. And participant number 28, so I assume you've got this all figured out now. Yeah, 28. I imagine you might be a little disappointed if you heard that Suter, I think, was 27. No, I'm just offended. I'm going to have to do a really good podcast. Right nice talking to you, Brent. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> have a good night. Everything's uh, going. Things are going well. You're looking great. You look like you could. I don't want to say you look like you can still play because you actually look fit. You look more like you're ready for the Tour de France, for crying out loud. I wish. I, there was a time where I was fitter. But you know what? I feel good coming out of two years of hibernation, the kind of thing. I found COVID was tough and it was hard. I had more time on my hands, but I... I think I did less with it during COVID. So. I'm glad we're all getting out of it and trying to get back to uh, the new yeah. normal, I guess. Let's talk about your beginnings. Kingston, Ontario. What was childhood like growing up in, in Kingston? I told this story a few times, but it was very typical in regards to if you thought of being a kid growing up in the 80s, kind of a lot of hockey. Hey, there wasn't a lot to choose from in regards to sports. You had hockey in the winter and you had baseball in the summer, a little bit of soccer here and there, but that was pretty much it. My town was just built on hockey, Kingston. That was the thing you did. Went to, you grew up with four sisters, my dad and mom, close to aunts and uncles. So there was always family around and things like that. So it was a general sort of your, your young Canadian small town upbringing, I guess, for me. But, and yeah. I don't get back as much as I'd like to, obviously, to Kingston because I'm out here full time now. But it was lovely, great place to grow up. I highly recommend it to anybody who wants to go back east and start a life there. 
hockey was like the sport for you growing up, from what I understand. In fact, I heard a rumor you're an Edmonton Oilers fan. You have, it pretty much had to be at that time. I had no allegiance to Toronto. And I think my sisters were Habs fans. And Wayne Gretzky, Paul Coffey, Mark Messier, Grant Pure, Andy Moog, the Islanders, Mike Bossy, Brian Trotchett. Yeah. That whole sort of Stanley Cup playoffs, that was my introduction to hockey and sports in, at that level of competitions. We just drew sides at schools. One group was the Islanders and one was the Oilers. And I just put the Oilers because it was Wayne Gretzky and the rest of the crew. It was an easy choice. Now, you never played football growing up until, what, grade nine, I believe. How did that transition occur from hockey and being this Oiler fan to yeah. becoming a football player? Probably more out of necessity. And I needed a new sport. I was burnt out with hockey. I'd been doing it since I was about four years old. And I, and I believe it was one of my older sisters, like one of their boyfriends. I had no intention, none, the intention of trying out for the football team or doing any of that. I was just going to carry on with my hockey, but I was getting sort of the point in hockey where I needed to make a decision of how serious or how far I wanted to take that. And to be honest with you, I didn't really know what opportunities were there, but I was around 14 and one of my sister's boyfriends were like, you should really consider trying out for football. And I knew nothing about football in the sense of rules and the game and what you had to do. I figured out what a touchdown was and quarterbacks throw the ball, that sort of thing. But I, I didn't watch a lot of it. It wasn't part of that family culture much. We watched the CFL, we watched the NFL, but it, it was so far off to the sidelines. And uh, so I didn't really even consider it. And then the first day of school came around and I think I said to a buddy of mine, like, I think I'm going to try out for football. And it looks like it's going to be all right. And went out and it was like every kid from Kingston was there trying out for this team. It felt like hundreds of kids just lined up to, to try out and they had their return. And so when I grew up, it was just, you had two years in junior and then three years in as senior football players in high school. Cause in Ontario at that time, we had this sort of grade 13 thing going on and we don't have that anymore. But anyway, your first two years, you go to this junior football team. So all the grade tens were coming back from last year. I was in grade nine and we had all these grade nines and somehow, some way, thank God they didn't ask us to actually know what to do. It was more like they just ran us around, made us jump over bags. It wasn't really any like needed football skills, just more athleticism. I just did it all and hung on somehow and they took me on. And I didn't really start coming into my own though until grade 11 around there. Yeah, I was reading about that. It's not exactly like you were a natural from what I've read is that yeah. you played one down in grade yeah. nine. One. I, I think I played one down. I know I played one down. It was against our, not our rival, but another high school named Frontenac. And then I ended up breaking my arm or something like that. And then I basically just came out to practice like a ball boy for the rest of the year. And because I, my math teacher was the head coach, Dan Jessen, and he was like, you still got to come out. And I'm like, what? No, I want to go home. This is, I don't want to hang out in the rain in the middle of Ontario in October. And uh, he was just like, no, you got to keep coming out. So out I went and I ball boyed the whole thing for that season. And the next season came around and I finally kind of grew a little bit. 
and you get your feet under you in regards to you're not growing as much. Went into the weight room. That's going into grade 10 year, but really got into it going into my grade 11 year. And that's when it took off. And I was like, oh, I could do this. I'm having a lot of success with this. And I could probably take it to the next level, meaning I could take it to university if I wanted to. But it was humble. When I say it was bad at the start, it was it was bad. I had no idea what any position did. I had no idea technique or anything. And I was raw, but I was lucky I was around good coaches and they made it fun and enjoyable and, and it sparked my interest. I just wanted to get better at it. You did. And you eventually wind up getting a lot of interest. And for someone who was around the CIS at that time and football at UBC in the early nineties, late eighties, it was rare to see a kid get a scholarship to a power five school. Oh, yeah. And that's what you did at that time. Probably a little bit more, it's not as rare now, but back then it was kind of rare because power five schools, big schools didn't really recruit in Canada. It wasn't like the day of the internet where they can go online and see video of you playing or whatever. They had all those camps as well. They have all these yeah. camps now and all that. Take us through the process of how you wound up at Ohio State University. You're absolutely right. I actually think if it was to happen all over again now, I'm not sure they would take me. It just all fell into place. But they did have camps back in the day, but they were so poorly advertised that you didn't really know where to, like Michigan would have a camp. Michigan State would have a camp. Ohio State would have a camp. But maybe one of the coaches at your high school would get a sniff of when that was and get some brochures mailed to them or something. But even then, like that was a hit or miss. It was much more the Canadian school. So I had Queens University in Kingston, obviously, which I went to their camp and things like that. But it was really at that time, a lot of it was done. There was a scout, there's a scouting service called, I feel what it was called. It was like, is it All Star? I think it was Ron Diaz that yeah, ran it. A guy well, named Ron Diaz. Ron. It was good. Yeah. Ron yeah. ran it, but I think it was All Star. Yeah. Yeah. Recruiting. And basically, what they would do is they would put this list together. They would go and do all the homework for the coaches and basically say, okay, Canada's a big country. Let's go Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, Calgary. Let's get to these big areas and invite everyone to come to us. We'll do the combine. We'll do like the 40s and the dirt jumps and bench press to one-on-ones and do all that stuff. Tape it all and get all the data for them and then basically sell them the list. And that was the idea behind it. I went to one of those, I want to say, in the spring of 94, I want to say. And it was really just, it was this gym in like Brampton or something outside Toronto. And it was all these American coaches that came to one central location just to see what was on offer. It was, yeah, it was just like, like a, I don't know, it was like the horse trade. Like they were just like, hey, here's everybody you can check out today. And, and I did really well. My numbers were really good at that. And then after that, it was really just, and I always say this, like if Ohio State likes you, Michigan's going to like you and Penn State's going to like you and on down the road. You're right. It's different now. We have a really clear view of what a power five school is. There's always the Alabamas and Ohio States. Well, Florida's and Florida States at that time and Penn State and Michigan and all the USC, they were always the bigger schools, but 
I never really thought about them when I was going through, oh, like my goal is to go to this sort of power five school or to go to, I just knew I was getting attention from them and that, okay, that's good. And they want me to come down for a recruiting trip. And by doing that, okay, they must be interested. And that was really how it happened. Believe it or not, there wasn't even that much exchange of film. And to be honest with you, there was nothing to really show on film anyway. It was like, I was basically like, here, I'm pretty raw, but I can do this and this. So if that works for you and you can take me and make me better, then okay. Your recruiting trip, good story here. The guy who was like one of your hosts, you told me before, now the head coach of the Tennessee Titans, yeah, Mike Vrabel. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen Mike, I've seen him at the Super Bowl a couple of times and say, hey, Brent Johnson's ripping up the county. He goes, oh, Brent, that's awesome. He still remembers. So, Oh, yeah, no. I haven't seen Mike in uh, eons, but no, it, he was a senior when I was a freshman coming in. It's, it was okay. We paired up with these, uh, him, Matt Finkus, Luke Fickle, who's the head coach at, in Cincinnati now. They were all my seniors coming in on the D-line. So we were all like brothers. That was every everyone I saw every day. It's interesting. I remember what Chase Claypool said when – he went to the pros. He said for him, it was a harder transition going from high school to Notre Dame than it was from Notre Dame to the NFL. Is that fair? Is that fair with you as well? Coming from a small program going yeah. to Ohio? No, no question. Just the, the level of everybody talks about the speed and that's evident, but the level of just football knowledge that the people who you are practicing and playing with day in and day out just have such a vast knowledge of the game and how it's supposed to work and where you should be and where you shouldn't be. And just all those intangibles that you can't coach. It's not X's and O's. It's just repetition and time. And they just know it because they've been doing it since they were four years old. So that part was a huge learning curve for me. The good part about that was is that I was at least afforded or at least I afforded myself enough time to, to me, going there, getting the scholarship, I had already thought, I was like, this is great. This is fantastic. I'm going to get a university degree. It's going to be great. But I was still competitive and I wanted to put my, make my mark there. But I didn't realize how further away I was than it. Because in my short-lived time with Jacksonville and the NFL, there are anyone that goes pro, it's not such a huge step up in in physicality, it is a bit more just because the you become, you're a man more. You're playing with grown men. There's a bit more of a physicality and violence to it, but not as much as you'd think. But there's a cold business side to professional sports. And that's the big jump when you go from call, I think, the jump. There, there is no waiting around. There's no developing, right? Yeah. There's certain positions that will get developed. But for the most part, you're not really going to be developed when you're, when you hit pros, you're going to be coached to win games. You're going to be coached certain strategies every week to, and you're adaptable to those strategies. So you can go out and play those, but no, the jump to college university ball was, it was very evident that my football knowledge was lacking tremendously. More with Brent Johnson after these quick messages. Every athlete is looking for a competitive edge. And you can find one at StokoDesign.com. The K1 Embrace System wraps your legs with over 90 feet of high-strength support cables that are directly integrated into an ultra-comfortable compression tape. 
The cabling is positioned to naturally move with you, supporting your knee when you need it most. You can customize your level of support with two control dials in the waistband. This is the future of knee support. Stokadesign.com. You're listening to the Mojon Sports Podcast. Got to tell you about my friends at the Clayton Public House. Talk about a great room. Just huge, spacious, plenty of light. The food is unbelievable. And by the way, did I mention they just rented their patio? Check it all out. The Clayton Public House, 5640 188th Street in Surrey. Brent, the Ohio State experience, you played in the Rose Bowl, you played in a couple of Sugar Bowls, you went up against some guy named Brady, sacked him. The game against Michigan, probably one of the biggest rivalries, if not the biggest rivalry in college football. How would you describe your Ohio State experience? Absolutely fantastic in regards to everything that I envisioned a college football university student athlete experience was it. The games couldn't have been bigger. The rewards couldn't have been bigger. The chances for keep your career going couldn't be more, I guess, attainable in regards to you've got the whole stage of the nation every Saturday. So that sort of stuff was fantastic. It changes you as a player and a bit of a person just because the competition is so fierce, right? It's just, there's... We have people at Ohio State that leave full scholarships at other places for a walk-on opportunity, right? And they are very good football players. So it's just this level of intensity and competition that you're constantly under. And to be honest, it's fantastic, but you can only do so much of it. When your four years or five years are up, you're like, okay, that was fantastic. But like, you need an opportunity to breathe coming out of a program like that because you're just so under the microscope and everyone is being motivated in different ways when they're there. But that being said, as the group of guys that I got to play with and be around, it couldn't have asked for a better experience and a better family to do that with. I absolutely loved it. Pro football, you talked about it being a business. Your first exposure to pro football was going to Jacksonville's camp. What do you remember about that experience? Tom Coughlin was the coach at the time. So I was a tweener coming out of university. I had good success in university, but I wasn't, I wasn't going to be a first or second round draft pick. That just wasn't in the cards. So there was talk like, okay, later rounds or something like that. But I think I did, there's a level of when you're coming out of university, there's a level of sort of business savvy that I think players coming out now are much more prepared to have, but not even savvy, more preparedness. They're prepared for that, that, okay, now we're going to switch to, I'm going to get my paychecks from football now, and I'm going to make this my livelihood and I'm going to be a professional. I have no idea what that really was about. I wasn't groomed as in my family to go do this really. It wasn't like everyone's intention it just, things kept falling in line for me and I excelled through it, but I didn't have the ability to know what the next move should be or how to promote yourself or what even, and you think this isn't a big deal, but it's even what agents you go with and how you're perceived by 
other coaches or other players that are already there. You don't know, but there is this sort of ongoing eye test and they want to know, you know, what you've been doing, your background, and they want you to sell yourself a bit, especially if you're not that one percent or two percent or kind of guy that just they're going to go in and be amazing anyway. I don't think I was prepared for that, that, that sort of marketing of yourself to make sure that you're doing everything you can to make that team. One thing you mentioned a couple of times already is burnout. You talked about it with hockey. It sounded like there might've been a little burnout with Ohio State. What kept you going to the Canadian Football League and eventually becoming a BC Lion? I remember talking to Adam Rita at that time. That was the GM. And he's, come on out, we'll slide out, we'll move you out. And I had been down in the States for six years at that time. I left right out of high school and it was like this whirlwind. And I think I just needed a place where I was like, okay, Vancouver sounds nice. I had never been there. And I was in just, okay, they got nice mountains and it seems like it's a great town and that. And I was like, okay, I'll give that a try. And Adam's big thing was like, when our season's done, take your time off then. We're done. There isn't off-season workouts. Even at that, like this was 2001, they didn't really have many structured off-season workouts and things like that. So you'd have this big gap of time between seasons. And I looked at that, okay. And I came up very strangely. I came up 2001, September 11th, 2001. I flew out of the States, got stuck in, in Minneapolis for a week because of the towers came down. And then finally made my way out here. And I remember thinking like, okay, like this is halfway through the season or a bit more than halfway through the season. I'm going to play out this season. Uh, maybe we'll go to the playoffs or something like that. And then in the off season, I need to make a decision. Do I really want to keep doing this? And if not, I'll figure something else out along the way. Career itself, you start off in 2001, you wrap it up with a great cup in 2011. And it's interesting because people looked at you as the prototypical defensive end for the Canadian game and the uniqueness of being Canadian. But yet when you arrived, there were issues in terms of where they were going to play you. Yeah, they wanted to make me like a nose tackle. Pretty good at playing defensive end. I'll try the nose tackle thing out for you if you want to. Whose idea was that? Was that Adam Rita's idea? I don't know. It was, yeah, probably. But not to put the blame too much on him, to be honest with you. There was a time where it was like you had Canadian positions and you had American positions and they still have that. But it was really hard. Like if I was going to play defensive end, which I eventually ended up doing, well, that meant Wally had to go find Canadian defensive ends to back me up. At that time, we had two really good defensive tackles, Canadian Noah Cantor and Cam Legault. So... You have to fit in there because that's where our Canadian talent is. And I'm like, I've never really played there, yada, yada. And I really wanted to play out on the edge. Anyway, I didn't take no for an answer. And then when there was the coaching change, I remember saying to Wally, no, I want to play defensive end. He's going to play, play wherever you want. Like, as long as you're good, you play wherever you want. That was the, my sort of transition into playing more and being part of those teams that we had through the 2000s and that. But he gave me the flexibility. He didn't care. He was like, yeah, play you wherever you want and we'll find people. 184 straight games. So you talk about playing and, you know, if there's any concerns, I don't know if that Canadian backup defensive end 
would have made a difference playing 184 straight. But the crazy thing about that is that streak, and I remember the night. It was a home game at BC Place. We're like, where's Brent Johnson? Brent's not playing tonight. His wife is in labor. He's not playing. So this undersized linebacker plays rush end that night. And it was basically the it was the coming out party for Adam Big Hill yeah. that night, who wound up playing your position. Very well, by the way, that yeah. night. Yeah. I remember the next day I came in, I was like all tired because I'd been up my what do I could be tired though? My wife was in labor, her embers and Coming into meetings the next day, the baby had been born that night at like at 12 o'clock and Biggie coming by just come on, man, like that. I played defensive end last night and that was crazy. That's crazy. I thought like, what? Because I was in the middle of, it was the delivery room, but we were in the thick of it, right? So I wasn't watching the game. I was just getting like texts on my phone here and there of what was going on. And then Wally did call and asked to see if I could come down and have something. My wife always reminds him of that. Hey, Big Lou had a good game. I think he had a couple of sacks that yeah. night. He, he almost Wally pipped you for crying out loud. No, totally he did. I was like, I got to get back to work here because Biggie's going to take my job for sure, which he probably would have. But like, here he is, goes out there, has a hell of a game. And you're right. Like, I remember Adam coming into that camp that year. I remember watching him. We were up in Kamloops. Solomon had already had the middle linebacker spot for that year. But there's this kid out of Big Hill that would just not stop at practice, right? And I remember we were on the sidelines. It was before some preseason games. So we were just doing walkthroughs and he's still going 100 miles an hour. I remember one coach saying, yeah, it's too bad. We're not going to be able to keep him because... After this game, because he's such a great effort guy, and which is really misleading for Adam because Adam had fantastic skills too. They were just like, they'd already made up their minds. And I remember a bunch of us on the bench just being like, are you out of your mind? That's like, they one guy. Cut him, but not him. Like he's the one guy that's flying around and he's, he'll go a million miles an hour. And I know that in pros, there's a cliche to that. Hey, bring it down and off because it's a long season and we don't want to get injured enough. But he played so well going hard and showed so much intensity and want to be there. Like, I think everyone was just shocked when the coach said that. And eventually I, people said that we got to keep this guy. Yeah. And he ended up obviously sticking around and having the amazing career he's had. But that was his coming out party when Roman was born, my son. <laughs> I remember that night. More with Brett Johnson after these quick messages. Redefine how you lead. Take the next step in your leadership journey with Ignite Management. Become a leader that positively impacts those around you. Create an environment where your team thrives. Be in control of your own development with a detailed analysis of your leadership style, complete with actionable insights and recommendations. Visit ignitemanagement.ca for more info. You're listening to the Moj on Sports Podcast. Brett, you've had, you had an outstanding career, um, and we'll get into the individual accolades, and there's many of them, but two Grey Cup championships, one in 06, one in 2011, and awesome finishing your career by winning the Grey Cup in BC. I don't know how you top that, but I remember also reading about the fact that you, you felt like there could have been more. 
right? Do you feel like you kind of left some on the table or now that you've kind of had a little bit of separation from your playing career, it yeah. probably doesn't, I don't know, bug you as much maybe that it did maybe five or 10 years ago. I left probably some years of playing football. I left that on the table, but I, that was intentional. It was intentional to leave. When I left, it was intentional at that time. It was my decision. It wasn't Wally's or the team's. It was mine and I wanted it that way. And I was ready to move on. I was never going to get an ending like we had in 2011. Hey, I would never get the roller coaster ride was that season. And then march that into playoffs into a great cup in Vancouver for the team I've only played for to go win it that year and to go out a champion under the lights where you called home for the last 11 years. So yeah, could I have played some more years? Yes. And I probably, but then again, you got to look at what are you risking to do that? I never had injuries. My knees feel good. My back feels good. I feel good. I didn't want to push that any further. You know, I was thinking not necessarily from an individual perspective, but more from a team perspective. Oh, you get the two great cups. Yet at the same time, that team, like in the mid 2000, what, four, five, six, seven, eight era, you could have won like maybe three, two or three in that era. I think we left a ton on the table running up to 2006 and right after 2006. So 2004 and five, honestly, I think they were better teams than 2006. And 2007 was a fantastic team too, but 2005, we were like assassins. The only games I think we lost is because we just we were just lost interest in it of winning. I don't know what it was in those games, but like we were so good with Dave at the helm. And once the whole Casey Printers, if you can remember back that the Casey Printers, Dave Dickinson, who's gonna play fiasco. Once that all got sorted out, it was just so much fun playing football during those days. And just because of the amount of talent that we had, you look on the other side of the ball, you've got Dave Dickinson, you've got, I mean, our whole offensive line at that time, Rob Murphy, Angus, Kelly Bates, you've got, who's in the middle? Hadley Glatt was our, was our middle linebacker, Dante Marsh, Corey Banks, all these guys, Baron Miles, safety. He was just incredible. And then look at the D line too, that we had through those years too. Chris Wilson, Aaron Hunt, Tyrone Williams, like just like studs. And it was ours for the taking. And we really screwed it up. We screwed up the, the Great Cup in 04 in Ottawa. And then we had it in 05 at our house. And Edmonton beat us out in the finals, in the Western final, which was just tragic. And we were going to play, I believe, Montreal in the Great Cup. And yeah, and we had to wait till 2006 to get it all together. And then after that, you get that sort of, when Cam Wade came in 2007, 2008 kind of era, we still had so much immense talent around at that point too. We just couldn't make it, couldn't make it work. I've got some numbers here and they're individual accolades. So I'm going to ask you at the end, which one, you know, is your favorite? You've got the jerseys retired, 97's retired by the Lions. You're in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. Three-time CFL All-Star, All-Big Ten team in 2000, 
two-time CFL Most Outstanding Canadian, CFL Most Outstanding Defensive Player Award in 2006, which is unheard of for a Canadian defensive lineman. 88 sacks, all right? Four picks and two touchdown catches. Touchdown. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Tyrone Williams because I remember Big Ty would go in on short yardage yeah. and he would count. And then I guess he took over t- for Tyrone. Yeah, he jumped out one or two, I think. Yeah, yeah. he jumped one or two that way. Yeah. yeah. 2006 was really defining in regards to the Defensive Player of the Year award that I remember. I think it was me and Baron Simpson that were up for it. Baron had been the middle linebacker at BC when I first arrived. It was a really a weird moment, but also a moment where that whole time or that team there felt like it was like me and a handful of other guys who really had a hand in building it. And then those accolades that came that year, by the way, with the Great Cup, the most important one, really solidified that we put together this group of guys that really wanted to go out and win and to play for this team. I never felt that as much through all the years, other than that year. It really came together. We had more talent in other years. We should have won other years, but that year specifically, I think that sort of roundup, because if you remember, Rob got lineman of the year, I think that year. G-Roy, of course, picked up an MVP that year. And then Mark Washington picked up something, I think, that year too. It was like this team that we all got together and we knew the mistakes of the past where we should have won those cups. And it was finally like here. And I remember that whole week leading up to that game in Winnipeg in 2006, that was just encapsulated that lots of players, this tight group of players, we made all the right decisions in regard who we wanted to win with. And everyone in that locker room wanted to win. And it was, and we got to do with guys like Carl Kidd too, who had put his time in many years before that. It was just a great group of people that we got to win with. You retire on your own terms. You walk away. A lot of times when athletes walk away from the sport they love, it's a difficult transition because many of them define themselves as a football player, a hockey player, or whatever sport they played. It seems to be a seamless transition into the world of finance, or has there been struggles there? Oh, absolutely there were struggles. No, go, yeah, it struggles every day, man. Yeah, well, but the struggle is real. It's a shift in mindset, and I was actually thinking about this today, knowing that we were going to do this tonight. As the years go by, you don't have forums like this or a place like this like you did when you were playing. You're interviewed every day, and people ask you different questions every day, but this is a time where I've transitioned to this other thing in my life, which is a sort of work. And don't get me wrong, football's everyday sort of work too. But the transition is not smooth. And I don't think it's for any athlete, just because the way that you measure yourself as an athlete, and I think this is why, I can't be sure, why a lot of athletes have trouble with this transition, and I know I did, is that the feedback loop, of the signs that you're doing well, or you're progressing, or you're in the right place is much bigger in the working world or the corporate world, or the regular sort of outside the athletics world. Football's a very fast and sports is a very fast feedback loop. You're either doing it right or you're doing it wrong and you're being corrected on it. And you take a lot of pride in how quickly you can correct your mistakes. 
and you take a lot of pride on how coachable you are. Players that aren't coachable just don't last very long. It's hard for them. But you're either winning games or you're doing well at practice. We have cameras all over us. Every step's being analyzed. You're either going forward or you're going backwards. But in the, the transition into the real world, that feedback loop is really large. You don't know how to accept the idea that you could be moving in the right direction or you're not, or you're getting praise, but you don't really understand why, or you're not doing a great job, right? It, that loop is just so much bigger and it's so direct in sports. So that transition, I think, was probably one of the hardest things I had to deal with in that there wasn't this overarching we're watching every step you're doing and making sure that you're doing it right. And by the way, when we go play, there's going to be points up on the board. And if you get more points, you get to be happy. And if, if you don't score enough points, then you, you should be, be sad. <laughs> no, and that's basically in the gist of how sports kind of works, right? You failed or you succeeded, right? And you know it. It's right there for everyone to see. It just doesn't work like that in the real world. Yes, you fail and succeed. It takes a long time sometimes to figure out how bad a job you're doing or that you're not going in the right direction or that you need some coaching or you need some help and you need those things because truly I needed all of it because I became an expert in one field and decided to go, okay, I don't want to work in that field anymore. I'm going to try to become an expert in something else and go right back to baby steps. That sort of pride swallowing of I've got to reprogram myself here and get with this program now. And, and yeah, it was tough, but it was also extremely satisfying too, that I can go out, change direction and anyone can, and go and do something new. It's just, you got to give yourself time. And I gave myself enough time, you know. The good part about it as a financial advisor, we'll get a quick plug in at the end, but as a financial advisor, if you have a bad day, nobody knocks you on your ass. You don't have a room full of people. Watching on tape, no, they got blown up on a certain play. Wouldn't know that experience. I would, you wouldn't. Uh, before we let you go, Brent, a quick plug for how people can follow you in terms of what you're doing with finance if they need any help. I'm not on any of the socials or anything like that. So I work for CIBC Wealth Management, Private Wealth, CIBC Wood Gundy. So I've been in investment advisor, portfolio management. I work with a team of seven. Yep, type me up and I'm in there. And yeah, we help. Everything from families, individuals, foundations, we work with them, help them with their investment decisions and get them through the sports analogy would be get them into the end zone. And it's been a fun ride and I still got a lot to learn, but um, I'm enjoying it. Brett, this has been awesome catching up with you and hearing your story and your beginnings from Kingston. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. The Mojon Sports Podcast. For more episodes, check out mojonsports.com. Searching for a new home? Make todayshomebc.com your online home base. With easy-to-search listings and connections to local realtors, everything you need is under one roof. Powered by Black Press Media, you can search hundreds of local listings all in one place. Access the top real estate professionals to help you find the perfect home today at todayshomebc.com.